You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. That is the music you want to hear on opening day. That's right. Get stoked. You probably don't need the help from the music. You probably are stoked. I know I am stoked. Just hours uh, hour, not plural, one hour away from first pitch of the 2017 season. Yankees and Rays uh, set to uh, start just after 1 o'clock Eastern. So uh, that's... Uh, some uh, good stuff there. Uh, joining me today, as he typically does on uh, on Sundays, is Greg Jewett. So he uh, gets the honor here of uh, being uh, sort of the pregame for the 2017 fantasy season. Greg, welcome aboard. Thanks, Al. So uh, are you stoked? Uh, I'm stoked, but it's kind of weird. I mean, I grew up as a Yankee <laughs> fan, but having them on TV in Tampa Bay just seems kind of weird. I don't know. I, I guess I'm a traditionalist. I think the first game should still be with the Reds, but what a, it is what it is right now. Yeah. I thought maybe you, you had a problem with field turf or something like that, you know, but. <laughs> well, I've been Which to I that think... stadium. It's not like uh, the best place to watch a game, but we'll take no. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. I've seen one game there at the Trop, and it was the when they were in the World Series. And uh, not to complain about attending a World Series game, but yeah, not not a great environment there. But uh, should be a great game, and really looking forward to that. Uh, Chris Archer and Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, Greg, I know you've looked into the lineups, a few surprises there on both sides. So um, we're going to get into that a little bit later in the show. Uh, we'll start off as we typically do. With some news items, we got a, a couple of tweets uh, from you. So we're going to hit those early in the show today because I imagine that those of you who send us those questions probably need an answer as soon as possible. So we're going to hit a few news items, but we'll get to your tweets before the first break. And, uh, Greg, you've been uh, busy. Uh, I see you've had a, a few new things come up on FanRag over the last couple of days. So we're going to talk about uh, those uh, columns that are that are up and uh, Jim Finch has a two-star pitchers column that we'll get into lots of stuff to get into so uh, I will not delay any further and the latest uh, or the first thing I should say that we're going to talk about is something that I saw literally just before we started the show here and that is that the Royals placed both Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier on the DL uh, with oblique strains uh, Soler on the brand spanking new 10-day DL but Hunter Dozier on the 60-day DL, and all I've done for the last month or two is tout Hunter Dozier as one of my favorite drafted stash prospects, and he's on the 60-day DL. Did this uh, did this surprise you? Uh, yes, it did. I, I, I'm not sure. Obviously, the severity of Dozier's injury uh, is there, so you know I, I know this probably helps them also protect 40-man roster space, but... Uh, the length of Dozier's was definitely a surprise. So Lair, we all kind of knew it was coming, and that was why Karen yeah. uh, Score was covered in the uh, the late round, like stash, stash and dash guys that you can probably get some speed out of, almost in a Dyson light roll. But um, yeah, the Dozier thing caught me off guard. Yeah, well, and I, and I definitely wanted to talk about the Terrence Gore aspect to this, so that uh, your 
most likely going to see Paulo Orlando now uh, in right field for the uh, for the Royals. But um, yeah, Terrace Gore makes the makes the roster, and you know I, I think the Dyson comparison is an apt one because uh, you know, Dyson was a perennial thirty forty steal player when he was with the Royals, even when he was only getting you know two hundred fifty three hundred plate appearances a year. I don't think. Gore is going to get that many trips to the plate. It'll be interesting to see how he's used, if he's used similar to how he's been used the last few Septembers, just strictly uh, as a, a pinch runner. But, um, I mean, that's fascinating to me. It's a rare non-September appearance for Terrence Gore. So when you say stash and dash, I mean, is he somebody that you would just put active right now in an AL-only league for you know, the potential of two or three stolen bases uh, in, a, in a given week uh, in a pinch runner role? If, if my team lacks speed, yes. I mean, hopefully he doesn't get too many at-bats to hurt your average, but he would definitely be able to uh, probably grab you a couple of bags a week, just like you were hinting at, you know, uh, in the deeper league or those formats like that. Anytime you can get a couple of steals uh, you're looking for, it's just how much it's going to affect your whole team's balance ledger. Yeah, well, I think that's a good approach. Uh, well, let's get to some of the other news items with the uh, players that probably people are you know a little more keen on than, than Terrence Gore. Uh, for example, Max Scherzer, <laughs> typically the second or third starting pitcher off the board. Good news, I think not unexpected news, that he will pitch in week one. He is scheduled to debut on Friday, though, so you know later appearance than we normally would expect from Max Scherzer coming off of that uh, hairline fracture in the finger. Friday debut at Philadelphia. So I don't really think there's anything too fantasy relevant there because I think everybody pretty much knew that they could start him this week. But uh, staying in the NL East, Anthony, or actually even staying on the Nationals, how about that? Anthony Rendon may not be ready for opening day. He's been dealing with the bruised calf. Would you start him this week, Greg? Um, It's funny you say that because I'm wrestling with that right now. Um, in my home league, I have Anthony Rendon. Um, luckily, I have Ryan Healy, so I might play it safe and just put Healy in for this week. Um, I was, like I said, I'm, I'm really wrestling with that even as we speak. Uh, I, I just don't like how this late news is popping up. Um, and then when we get done talking about a couple of the guys, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, we need to uh, address Roberto Osuna was placed on the 10-day DL. No. Did, they, did that just uh, get announced? Yeah, just a couple of minutes ago. And they released okay. Melvin Upton Jr. And they released Upton. That's interesting because, yeah, there was a report in the last 24 hours or so that the Blue Jays were trying to trade him. Well, that's uh, super for uh, the score sheet league where I own Melvin Upton. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well, a couple interesting developments there. And then Ozuna, so that's uh, obviously very impactful because uh, I'm sure that means a lot of people are now going to be scrambling for a, a closer last minute. Uh, off the top of your head, so yeah, this it, is a top-of-your-head moment. Uh, who who would you target if you, if you had Ozuna? Probably Grilly. I would think Grilly would get uh, just, you know, the veteran that's been in the role before. He did pitch well for the Blue Jays last year when they acquired him, so I would definitely think Grilly will get first shot at it with uh, Bignini setting up for him. Um, they're saying cervical spasm for Roberto Asuna. I mean, he did have a rough spring, so this may explain it, but yeah. I'm not sure how to react to what a cervical spasm is. I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't sound good. No, it, it absolutely doesn't, and uh, I think that's a good call on Grilly over Biagini. And uh, oh, that's a very fun name to say. Um, 
and in terms of uh, scouring waivers, if you know last minute you need to pick somebody up, and if you actually have time to, uh, I, I, you know, I like Blake training, and uh, the, one of my head-to-head leagues, I did have to pick up a, a couple of relievers, and actually in, in Tout Wars, Greg, where you and I uh, you know, spent time uh, last weekend, uh, I lost mm-hmm. uh, three pitchers, uh, one of whom was Carter Caps. That wasn't a huge surprise, but. Um, so I made bi- a bid on training there and also on Drew Storen. Now that's a deep league, so Storen would be far from a, f- a first choice for me in a, a more standard league. Um, but well, okay, that's that's big, big news there. Also, big news, but not quite as last minute. Adrian Beltre is going on the DL with his calf injury, and Joey Gallo is going to replace him at third base. So, uh, We've got a couple of third basemen on the shelf, potentially. Uh, Beltre for sure, Rendon possibly. Is Gallo a candidate fantasy-wise to replace either of them, or are you setting your sights elsewhere? Uh, it really depends on what would be available on the wire. And, you know, a lot of uh, leagues, I'm not sure if you can pick a guy up this last second. It's just if you have daily moves, right. you can. Um, you know, the other ones are kind of, you know, most of the waivers ran last night, so it's just going to kind of – depends on your league format. I mean, Gallo is – you know, we know the power is free. He hit four home runs in the spring, but he also had the 23 strikeouts. So just don't know if the uh, the discipline's there quite yet. But he needs the at-bats and the reps. I mean, they've been moving him up and down and around in positions. At least he knows for a few days he's going to bat, you know, bat hopefully in the lineup and be at third base and kind of be comfortable and just see what happens with him. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of interest in Gallo in a in a you know twelve team league at this point. And and by the way, I would mention that mm-hmm. almost all the leagues that I'm in have rolling deadline locks. So even though we're less, well, actually we're about exactly an hour away from first pitch. That uh, in most of, of my leagues, and I suspect many of our listeners' leagues, you, you can make some moves uh, up until some point tomorrow, being Monday. Okay. So you know, if you have that luxury, uh, I you know. Uh, I'd be very interested in Travis Shaw this week. I'm a little concerned about whether or not mm-hmm. he's going to start against those lefties. Uh, but, you know, he's, uh, you know, certainly somebody that I've been targeting for this week. I think he can do probably, I think he do better than Gallo. And, you know, they, they've got the Indians for one series. That's a, that's a tough road. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, for me, Gallo's more of a kind of a deep league guy. Now, this uh, is also news that's been out there for a little while, but uh, I think news since our last show on Friday, Drew Smiley, who initially was termed to have the soggy arm. Well, now it turns out that that, what that really is is a flexor strain in his left elbow. That's bad news, and he's out for six to eight weeks. And he's one of those three pitchers (laughs) that I lost in uh, Tout Wars. So that, uh, you know, drafting or, uh, you know, bidding on David Price and... uh, you know, dealing with that is is not working out so well. Given that now I'm four pitchers down, but uh, so Smiley's replacement in Seattle is Ariel Miranda. What depth of league would you be looking to pursue Miranda? Uh, AL only, or as a streamer in a fifteen or higher. I, I don't think he's mixed league worthy. We're at, yeah, at twelve or below. Yeah, agree hundred percent there. Couple of fifth starter developments, uh, you know. Of course, the last twenty four hours, those position battles have been, you know, coming to a close. They're they're pretty much, you know, all settled at this point. 
Uh, Tyler Glasnow beat out Trevor Williams to be the Pirates' fifth starter uh, for we fantasy owners who you know crave strikeouts and love upside. I think that was probably the you know the favored route to go. And in San Francisco, Matt Cain, and that was absolutely no surprise because Bruce Bochy had been telegraphing that, I think, since about the first or second week of spring training. But Ty Blatch going to the bullpen there, and Trevor Williams likewise going to the bullpen. So there's alternatives in both of these situations. Do you think that either Glass now or Kane is potentially in danger of not performing well enough to stay in those rotations? Um. I think it's possible with either of them. I'm, I'm more likely to believe, I mean, I, I just, you know, it's hard to give up on Matt Kane, but the way he looked last year, and even in the spring, I mean, he had some good games and some bad outings, and I think he's going to carry that over into the season. Um, they've got options with, uh, with, with Black and Beattie. So, you know, the Giants, luckily the front end of their uh, rotation can kind of absorb a weaker fifth starter, but we'll we'll have to see. I mean, it's going to be a matter of if he can provide innings and not chew up the bullpen, um, especially when the especially when the beat writer was hitting at when Bumgarner and other pitchers are uh, Cueto and those guys. They're going to let them work longer to kind of protect the bullpen, which doesn't have a lefty for matchups with the loss of Will Smith. So, uh, how that bullpen's used and protecting it's going to go a long way, I think, towards determining how long Kane stays in that rotation. Yeah. Well, that uh, yeah, that sounds about right to me. And you know, I think probably there are people who are rooting for Blatch or, or Beatty. Um, I'd certainly like to see Beatty up at some point this season. But Kane, for a period of time last year, I think right before a DL stint, actually looked like he was having something of a comeback and and looked better than he had in a while. So I'm not totally counting Kane out as uh, somebody I'm going to pay attention to in, in fantasy. But he certainly would need to go on a, like a nice you know, three or four start stretch. That was very impressive before mm-hmm. I would look at him outside of NL only. So for whatever that's worth and, and glass now you think uh, he'll, he'll keep the walk sufficiently under control there. Uh, I don't know about that, but I mean, he did a little better this spring. I mean, um, he only had a two to one strikeout the walk ratio in the majors prior to this spring, this spring, he, he was able to cut that to, or excuse me, increase that to, he had a 28 to seven total. So four to one. So, I mean, that's encouraging, but we'll see what happens when the lights go on. I mean, you, you, you encapsulated it best when you said he's high upside strikeouts and people are kind of craving them. But what comes with that is also a high whip. If he puts traffic on the yep. bases, um, the things of that nature. So you need to make sure you've got people balancing out, uh, you know, his whip possibly creeping up to the one, three, five, one, four range, especially earlier in the season, you know, as the season goes on, he gets a little more refined and, and works with the coaches and whatnot. He might be able to uh, refine that a little bit and cut it down. He might be a good target for the second half more mm-hmm. than the first, but uh, he's, he's definitely on people's radar. So you're not going to get him for a depressed price. No, definitely not. Well, I'm a very bad host. First of all, I've gone long in this segment and I didn't even get to the Twitter question. Uh-oh. So we'll do that first thing when we come right back. Welcome back to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and with me today on this special opening day edition is Greg Jewett. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about. we try to get it all in here before the first pitch, which is now less than an hour away. Uh, now, I did promise that uh, I would get right to some uh, uh, 
Twitter questions that we got. So uh, let's go to those right away, uh, Greg, if, uh, if we shall. Okay, so this one is from Steve Perry, at Steve Perry 47 uh, Don't know if this is the former lead singer of Journey, but we'll just have to let that be a mystery. Steve's question, 12-team points league, three outfielders. Would you drop Ian Desmond and J.D. Martinez because there's no injured reserve? Thank you. Ow. Um, wow. I, I, I'd i like to know how many bench spots there are, but I, I'd say in, in lieu of that information, there's there's no way I would want to drop either one in that format. How about you, Greg? Yeah, I, I tried to respond to, see, to Steve just to see what the – what those roster spots were, but uh, we never heard back from them. But I agree with you. I mean, you're in a head-to-head with those guys. Um, we don't know if he paid full value, depending on when he drafted for them. Um, I'd like to think, with only three outfielders active, I'd like to think there'd be enough for me to to find on the waiver wire to uh, sub in till I can get one of those guys back. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's that's a tough spot, but I think you got to keep those guys. Uh, okay, and our next question is from Corey at Corey Sampson one. Uh, he got a trade offer. He gives up uh, Noah Syndergaard. He gets uh, back Charlie Blackman and either David Price or Danny Salazar. And this is a twelve-team points league. So, which way do you go on this, Greg? Uh, most of my friends who play points leagues, they usually slant to the pitchers. So, I guess it's just based upon risk. How risk uh, averse. The, this person is. I mean, if you believe Thor is going to give you uh, the 200 plus innings with the great ratios and the high strikeouts, um, do you need Blackman that bad? Um, and then you're taking on risk in either Price or Salazar. So uh, for me, I don't know. I, I almost think like I would hold based on it, it. It makes me it makes me curious because if you're already trading, is there a reason you need to trade? I mean, does he need? the offense and that's why Blackman's on the table but um I don't know I like to see a few pitches in bat swung before I'm going to make a lot of deals in my leagues I don't know how you are on that yeah well that I mean that's uh you know I, I tend to be cautious that way as well and just on the face of this uh I I don't really like it um and part of that is just that um I've got some real doubts about Charlie Blackman having the kind of season he did last year with um 30 plus homer power and I think if he, and I expect he regresses back to being, you know, 18, 19 homers. And at that level, I mean, obviously he's still a top outfielder, but enough to, to net you uh, Syndergaard. And I realize you're getting Price or Salazar along with it. I don't want to take the risk uh, with either of those pitchers. I, yeah, I just want to play it safe with, with, uh, with Thor. So mm-hmm. I think we're on the same page with both of these, which is always a nice thing. Makes it less confusing for the uh People sending us the question. So hope we get you that information uh, early enough. And uh, let's uh, get back to some news items. Michael Brantley is on the Indians 25-man roster. Uh, So there's a little bit of clarification there on the Indians outfield situation because we know that Chisholm Hall is out. Brantley is in. uh, Naquin's still there. So you've got Brantley and Naquin. And I would guess Abraham Almonte probably would be the third member there but you've got uh austin jackson you've got brandon geyer and and geyer could you know certainly see time against lefties so who who do you have interested in that in that situation are you still worried about brantley Uh, i know we all had him kind of in the if i remember right had him in the lower portions of our top 75 for outfielders 
Do you feel better about mm-hmm. Brantley now than you did, you know, three, four weeks ago? Uh, so far, um, he, he, he could turn out being somebody I was a year too early on, just not because of who Michael Brantley is, but I, I took him in a bunch of leagues last year at the depressed rate and then got pretty much nothing out of him. So um, if I think they'll still manage his at-bats when the beginning uh, at the start of the year. I, I can't see him doing uh, tons of like three days in a row and things of that nature, which is why they're probably carrying so many outfielders just so they can see how it's all going to play out. But, you know, his swings in the spring have looked good. He's hitting the ball to all fields, and he was hitting with some power. So if that shoulder is really healthy, uh, Brantley could be a, a tremendous bargain this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I did, and I think of the three of us, you, me, and Jim Finch, I think I may have been the only one to actually leave Brantley out of the top 75. He was, I think I had him around 77, 78, something like that. Uh, and in my latest rankings update, I did move him up to around 60. So I definitely feel better about Brantley now, and yet I have all the same concerns that you do, Greg, about playing time and, and just about durability in general. So, uh, you know, at that kind of price, uh, he, he could wind up being a, a huge bargain. And how about the rest of the, the cast there? Uh, Tyler Naquin, do you think that he can repeat what he did last year with the very high on base percentage and, and the nice power stats? Uh, people are split on him. I'm not really a Naquin person. We've kind of discussed this before. So, yeah, I, I think there's pullback coming on Naquin. I think the league's going to adjust to him. Um, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how all of this all plays out with that outfield and how the playing time does come around. Francona does a pretty good job of keeping people happy and keeping at bats dispersed. Geyer's definitely going to be in there when there's lefties pitching. So, um, but, but they also, when they're going to the National League, they had Carlos Santana playing right field. So, there's a lot of moving pieces here. It's going to take a little time for all of the uh, the puzzle pieces to fall into place. Yeah, another moving piece is Jose Ramirez because he's going to slide over to second base and fill in for Jason mm-hmm. Kipnis, and that'll open up third base for Andy Diaz, who had a really, really nice spring. And this is somebody that I've, I've kind of liked for the last year or two because he walks a ton. There's some mild stolen base potential there. I mean, this is not somebody who, with the full season, I think would necessarily give you even 20, but maybe he gives you 15. Uh, not a, a lot of power there for Diaz, but, you know, on-base potential and, and some mild speed uh, for as long as he's around, which, you know, could may, be maybe as much as a month. Where would you want to have mm-hmm. Diaz rostered, if anywhere? Um, I did take him in one of my NFBC draft and hold, so uh, it was in, like, the 47th round, and he was having a great spring. I'm like, ah, oh, what the hell? You know, if he gains a little extra eligibility <laughs> and – you know, I can plug him in there for a couple a couple of lineups where I might need it or just a little upside with the right matchups. Uh, it makes sense. So, you know, he, he had a nice bat. He had a tremendous spring. Um, a couple of the games I watched, the announcers were raving about him, and I think Francona likes him, especially for the Indians to take his bat over uh, Urshela's glove, I think says a lot. Yeah, it really does. Exactly. I was just thinking that really does kind of bury Urshela on the on the depth chart. And I was that was another guy I was sort of excited about, you know, two or so years ago, because uh, like you said, good glove, which doesn't help you a whole lot in, in a traditional fantasy league, but enough power that I thought he could be an interesting deep league option. But Urshela really off the radar now. Uh, the race being off the radar. Uh, the Rays have let Nick Franklin go off their forty man roster, DFA'd, and that was a pretty surprising move. What do you see happening with Franklin? 
I think it depends on where he goes. Um, I'm curious to see. I mean, it, it feels like the the Reds are almost picking up any anybody that they can throw against the wall and see what happens with the outfield. So that could be a possible mm-hmm. landing spot. Or, um, I mean, I don't really think the Padres need to have a need in the outfield, so I kind of rule them out. Um, so we'll see. Um, and there's been a lot of movement with uh, other outfielders in the same boat. I mean, up Junior's now released. Uh, the Tigers could be in on, on one of these players. Uh, if they're, they don't trust having Jacoby Jones or want to give him more at-bats in center field in the minors. So and I saw Coughlin just signed. He went to Toronto after Philadelphia released him. So there's there's going to be a couple of more things happening before these uh, roster locks or they'll come out after. Yeah, no, I think yeah, Toronto would make a lot of sense. Detroit would make a lot of sense. Tyler Collins could play center field. Uh, Franklin mm-hmm. could play a corner. Um, and you mentioned the Padres. Yeah, they definitely don't need an outfielder, but they could use a, a shortstop. Uh, maybe it's been a while since Franklin's played short, but... Uh, you know, possibility there, perhaps. Uh, and this is a pretty minor deal, but there's a, a, an aspect to this that I find interesting. The Marlins have signed Vance Worley to a minor league deal. And there's really, I'd say, two angles I find interesting. One is that the Marlins have a notoriously shallow rotation situation there. So there's an opportunity for really anybody who's, you know, somewhat viable. But it also, it's a reunion between Worley and Jim Benedict, who is part of the pitching staff, uh, or, you know, the pitching coaching staff, I should say, with the Pirates when Worley was with the Pirates. And if you may recall, Worley, like many others, like uh, Edinson Volquez and uh, Francisco Liriano, A.J. Burnett, Ivan Nova, uh, that uh, Worley was somebody who went to Pittsburgh and, and really had a little bit of a renaissance there and got his walk right down and, and had some nice stats. So, uh, is this uh, is this a stretch, or do you think that Worley could uh, have a, a second renaissance now with the Marlins? Uh, it remains to be seen. You're definitely talking deeper leagues, um, and Worley. You know that the similarities in the ballparks. I mean, uh, Miami's a good place if you put balls in the air for them to die and not go over the wall. So, you know it. Stranger things have happened, and there's definitely a pathway to innings in Miami, which had to factor in his decision along with the reunion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. sure. Now, uh, you know, we're getting really close to our second break here, and there's a lot uh, of uh, interesting developments with batting orders. Uh, So something interesting from the uh, Dodgers game from yesterday, the uh, exhibition game. We'll get to that. We've got... uh, Yankees Rays lineups and again that game is starting in just over half an hour and we uh before the show started I even saw a Diamondbacks lineup so when we come back we'll look at some of the interesting features of those lineups and then Greg I want to spend some time talking about your pitcher uh column uh that went up uh, within the last day or two on uh, fan rag so stick around and uh, we got a lot more for you so stay tuned Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball Opening Day Edition. I love saying that. I'm only going to be able to say it for another uh, 25 minutes or so, too. Uh, with me here for this opening day show is Greg Jewett, also from FanRag Sports. And Greg's got some juicy new content up on FanRag. We're going to talk about some of that in this segment, maybe even the next one, too. But before we get to all of that... I want to talk a little bit about some lineups because uh, that's we've been doing some speculating during the spring about uh, where some players might land and, and what how that'll impact their fantasy value and and those pictures are getting clearer 
And I want to go back before we talk about some of the opening day lineups yesterday and the, the freeway exhibition between the Dodgers and the Angels. Interesting game for a couple of reasons. One, because uh, Corey Seager came back from his oblique injury and needed absolutely no spring training at all. Went two for three. Uh, looked good there. Uh, but Andrew Tolles in the leadoff spot as opposed to Logan Forsythe, who we had been seeing in the leadoff spot. We had read about during the offseason that Dave Roberts wanted to lead Forsythe off, and he was dropped a fifth. And I will admit I had my last draft on Friday night, and I waited really long at second base, and I took Forsythe mostly because I was excited about him as a leadoff hitter. <laughs> so uh, that is now really in question. So what do you make of this, Greg? Well, based upon what I'm reading, um, you know, obviously, you know, you you and I both talk about, you know, reading the beat writers and staying up on all these players. Uh, they want him in there to break up uh, the lefties in the lineup, so they're they're kind of slotting him in between. I think Gonzalez and Peterson. They want a right-handed bat to uh, to to break those guys up. So this could be more permanent than we ever thought, which is surprising this late in the game because it wasn't really anything that was percolating. I mean, obviously, tolls at leadoff with his speed um, enhances his value. But uh, for those that were, like you said, grabbing foresight for the runs upside and the, the blend of, you know, mid-teens power with a little bit of steel, a little bit of steel upside, uh, this definitely changes things. And now it could have an opposite effect. He'll get more RBIs, but um, mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting. So I, I don't know that it's permanent. And when there's a lefty, he might shoot back up there to the leadoff spot. So, not all at-bats at leadoff or maybe lost, but if this is what their uh, lineup's going to look like versus right-handed pitching, that's going to be the majority of the time in the uh, in the platoon roles. Yeah, and, and actually, I, I think it's, even though my initial response was sort of deflation, again, having drafted Foresight specifically for the runs, but I think that uh, the RBI uptick will offset or maybe even more than offset the loss uh, of mm-hmm. runs. For, uh, for Forsyth, and yeah, for Tolls, this is a big one because I think otherwise we're looking at him p- batting very low in the order. Maybe he does get uh, a green light more often here. So uh, I think this is a, a really nice uh, nice thing for Tolls, and uh, you know, and like you said, I would expect that Forsyth will still continue to lead off against um, against lefties. So you know, it's it really may be the best of all worlds for for both of these players. Mm-hmm. Now, if we fast forward to today's lineups. Both the uh, Yankees and Rays have their lineups out. Uh, Yankees lineup features uh, Gary Sanchez batting second, Greg Bird third, and Jacoby Ellsbury fifth. So, I mean, for me, certainly, I absolutely love this for for Greg Bird. Uh, Are you a little disappointed that Sanchez is batting second and might lose some RBI chances there? Uh, Yes and no. But, I mean, when you look at other teams that have, like, Josh Donaldson second, uh, this is kind of something where – I. This may be the Yankees making sure he gets more fastballs, um, especially when he struggled uh, after his hot start um, last year once he started getting fed more off-speed pitches uh, the last month of the season. So I think this is definitely a way to ensure him seeing more of the pitches he likes to get and he, he can jump on fastballs earlier in the counts. So there, it could affect his RBI a little bit, but I think it also helps protect his average a little bit. And, you know, the, the power is, the power is the power for Sanchez. I mean, he's going to hit home runs. Yeah. It's just a matter of people tempering their expectations versus the what they remember last year versus what he's going to do in a full <laughs> season this year. Yeah. 
you think Ellsbury stays in the fifth spot, or you think it's just really uh, he's uh, holding a place while Aaron Judge gets comfortable lower down the order? It's quite possible. And then I, I just can't see, you know, with my years of being a, a Yankee fan, I just can't see them holding on to Gardner and Ellsbury all season. One of them, I really think one of them is going to get moved. Um, so it'll be a matter of uh, either which one is traded or how either one starts the year. You know, it, it is a little disappointing for Ellsbury because people were kind of taking him in the later rounds for a little bit of speed upside. And he was four for five this spring and a little more uh, aggressive on the bases than he's been in years past. And now to see him go down to fifth, he, that kind of changed. I mean, he'll still steal bases, but uh, it, it may lower that total just a bit. And uh, moving to the other side uh, of that uh, scorecard, Corey Dickerson leading off. So that one, too, is sort of curious. Um, I have to say I don't love it. I'd rather see Dickerson hit in the middle of the order. But uh, does this change any feelings uh, on your part for Dickerson? No, I, I, I kind of am intrigued by his upside a little bit. You know, uh, he... You know, you always hear they showed up in their best shape or whatever, but uh, he admitted last year he was a little too thick, um, so he wanted to get a little faster for when he can try and play in the outfield. So uh, he redid all of his stuff, more flexibility, more yoga. He, I think he shed like 20 pounds, um, so he's getting a lot more rotational uh, velocity in his swing and torque. Um, maybe hitting leadoff again, like we said, get him more fastballs, just like the same situation as Sanchez. So I still think there's some power upside. You can get a little few more runs. You'll trade, you know, he's the opposite of Forsythe. Now you're trading RBI for a run, whereas Forsythe was the opposite, even though they were former teammates. So I'm not too disappointed, and I think the, the Rays' batting order will be in flux all year. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very likely. So yeah, that's, a, you know, that's a good point just in general, whether it's the Rays or any, any other team, that sometimes we can get to over-analysis of, uh, of lineups and, and uh, batting orders. So that's a good caveat to toss out there. Uh, well, Greg, I, I want to make sure we have uh, ample time to talk about uh, more than one of your columns, but certainly for right now, you did a column uh, a couple days ago on pitchers, uh, starting pitchers who had really encouraging springs. Uh, Jacob deGrom, Masahiro Tanaka, who's pitching in moments, uh, Taiwan Walker, mm-hmm. Jared Eikhoff, Francisco Liriano, and Patrick Corbin, one of my favorites and i have a lot of shares of corbin going into this year so let's start with him since uh you know i want to feel good about my teams <laughs> but you know anybody else who drafted <laughs> corbin or maybe uh, has a chance to acquire acquire him uh what do you see there from corbin based on on his spring well last year when he went to the bullpen uh he kind of changed how he was uh using all of his pitches he went to uh basically just a fastball and the slider and he had great success when he was in relief last year, and he's carried that over to the spring. I mean, we've seen a pitcher like Rich Hill be able to be successful relying on his curveball and fastball and actually pitching backwards, throwing more curveballs than fastballs. You know, it's not to say that Corbin's elbow can handle throwing more sliders than fastball, but the increased usage of the pitch has uh, increased his or has maximized his results. I mean, you know, this spring, 18.1 innings pitch, 17 strikeouts, and only three walks. Uh, what I liked the best was seeing that whip below one. Uh, you know, he's he's only a couple of years removed from uh, a nice double juice win season. He knows how to handle pitching in that ballpark, and he wanted to be a starting pitcher. Uh, one of my students, you know, gained a, a close friendship with him, so 
he was telling me, because I was like, Corbin could be the next Jack Britton. He's like, Mr. Jewett, Corbin wants to start. <laughs> and he met that goal this spring. He, <laughs> he went to spring so you, and win that got... role, and he, and he went and did it. So, yes. Well, I didn't realize you had this, you know, network of uh, of sources here. This is this is good to know. <laughs> and Cor- Corbin, when he was in the bullpen, and actually, well, even before that, like you said, when he started introducing the slider more often midseason, uh, started seeing his ground ball rate go up, and then it really exploded when he went to the bullpen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a lot there to to certainly watch for with Corbin, and I think a lot to like. Uh, all right, uh, the other pitchers, you know, we could. Uh, conceivably do you know close to a whole show on these so uh of the other five degrom tanaka walker eikhoff liriano which one had the spring that was more of a mind changer for you that that really uh you know was convincing uh probably taiwan walker and especially um he's he's also uh using a slider now which was the pitch he didn't really have in his arsenal as much in the past and then when I read Bernie Pleskov tweeting out that Walker looks so much more mature and uh, commanding on the mound, I, I, you know, he's always been a high, high upside arm that's been befell by injuries and wildness and things of that nature. And you even talked about on a, on a previous show about how there were whispers about, you know, his background or work ethic and things of that nature. So I think the bone spurs being gone, he's not pitching in pain. You know, the National League, even though he's in a, a plus offensive ballpark, he's still going to see a pitcher, uh, you know, every third inning. So there's a chance for more strikeouts there. Uh, I, I just see this almost as a, uh, a pitcher who's got a new lease on life. I think he's going to go in there. He's hitting 97 with the fastball. He's throwing free and easy. I just think it's finally his time to break out, and I think this year could be it as long as uh, health and the other issues don't derail him. And well, okay, I didn't, you know, he's an interesting case. Uh, all those reasons that you cite, I think, are could be part of a narrative that could be very reassuring. I also do remember two years ago, Walker having a great spring, and and it didn't mm-hmm. you know carry over to the degree I think a lot of us did. So I'm taking a, a wait and see with Walker, but um, you know could could wind up being a stud uh, like we thought he was going to be, you know, like a year and a half ago. Degrom made your list and. You have another piece out about the Mets rotation, right? Um, my, yeah, my that came out today. Cause, uh, okay. Nope, nope, that came out this morning. Um, you know, Alex and I spoke about, you know, everybody. They, he didn't really want me to touch on Harvey, which I agree, because Harvey's been talked about ad nauseum. But um, the, the Mets rotation this year, especially at the back end, it's going to be uh, really juxtaposition. They're going to they're gonna try and get as much as they can out of Wheeler. They're going to get as much as they can out of Zellman. And then you're also looking at uh, Montero. Finally, had, you know, he had another strong spring, just like Walker did. Um, if he can translate it, he's probably going to get a couple of spot starts. And so is Seth Lugo, who just went to the DL with a dead arm. But there's no structural damage. You know, he, he fared pretty well in the WBC. He's a stat cast hero with his curveball. Um, so, you know, the, the, the back end of that rotation is going to be – in flux all season and fantasy owners and deeper leagues are going to be able to get different stream options at different points of time on a, on a good team and a plus ballpark for pitchers. So it's just a matter of managing and how deep your rosters are, but uh, kind of went through all of those pitchers a little bit, just went through their arsenals. You know, um, I think a lot of people were higher on Gazelman than, 
than Wheeler, but Wheeler could be sneaky. It's all a matter of control with him, and we know that's the last thing that comes back from Tommy John. So his first month mm-hmm. may not be great, but you know how they manage his innings. They're saying it's a fluid 120, but he, he could provide some uh, solid strikeout upside as the season progresses and he starts to hone in his, uh, his control and gets, I mean, there's one thing, there's one difference between Gazelman and Wheeler. Wheeler's done it before. We've seen the strikeouts over 105, 185 inning season. Um, it's just been a matter of health. You know, last year he disappointed a lot of people. So he was going in as a reserve pick in 15 team drafts. So I just think people are a little, maybe a smidge too high in Gazelman and maybe too low on Wheeler. Yeah, well, uh, I know I've said this a lot this show. We're really on the same wavelength, but I absolutely agree with all that. And I don't understand how you know the the quite the level of hype on Gazelman or the level of uh, you know caution uh, or maybe even worse than caution on on Wheeler. And you also gave me a, a great idea. If I ever have if I have a team this year that gets both Lugo and Byung Ho Park, then I'm going to rename that team Stackcast Heroes. I like that. we've got to head into our final break here uh but uh when we come back we're going to talk about some moves that we're making or considering making for week one which is now just 20 minutes away from starting so uh don't leave just yet there's more good stuff to come Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball Opening Day Edition. I'm joined today by Greg Jewett, also of FanRag Sports. And last segment, we talked about a couple of pieces uh, that Greg has recently written for FanRag, one on the Mets rotation and uh, another on starting pitchers who have had nice springs that might uh, give us a little window into uh, the improvements they can make in the regular season. But uh, also let's give some props to our colleague Jim Finch, who has put out a very nice guide for your two-start pitching options for week one. And uh, let's dig into this. It's too bad uh, we don't have Jim here today. We'll have Jim on tomorrow, and I think normally on on a Monday, uh, which is when Jim is normally on our show here, uh, you you uh, you know have a lineup lock that's late enough that you know you can uh, really uh, take advantage of of the full uh, two start analysis. Uh, but uh, this week we'll we'll have to do most of that that heavy lifting for Jim on the show. Uh, now he's divided up the two star pitchers, and of course there's a lot of them in week one, as as there always are, and there's a lot of aces getting two starts in week one, as is typical. So he's got your must starts, solid starts questionable starts, 50-50 options, start at your own risk, and avoid slash sit. And I think what, when you look at this, the list, you have to keep in mind that because there are so many aces getting two starts that there's a bit of, a, of pitcher inflation this week. So somebody, uh, you know, for example, like uh, well Patrick Corbin, who we talked about in the last segment, he's made Jim's start at your own risk list because there's, you know, while we there's a lot of things, uh, Greg, that you and I both really like about Patrick Corbin, there's so many great options, and you only have so many rotation spots uh, to fill. So, uh, like I said, a little bit of inflation here that you have to take into account. But let's let's start at the bottom because there's a name here that I, I find a little bit intriguing. That's Ricky Nolasco. Poor Ricky, he's the last one on this entire list uh, at Oakland versus Seattle. So I don't think there's any question that you sit Ricky Nolasco or don't try to get him off of waivers this week as a two-star pitcher in a 12-team mixed league. But does he have any intrigue for you in any, anything deeper, given that he finished the season uh, with one of his best stretches in a long, long time? 
Um, he really did pitch under the radar well last year um, at the end of the season. It's just, you know, I, one of the funniest tweets I saw yesterday, though, was they had a, they had a GIF of Michael Mike Trout kind of shaking his head as, like, when you go into the season and Alaska's your opening day pitcher. Um, you know, it's it'll be interesting. You know, I think he's a matchup guy only in a deeper league. Um, if he can get off to a decent start, then you might someday say, hey, you know what, I want those – two starts from him but um like you yeah. said on a couple of pitchers earlier he's he's in a show me state i kind of want to see him repeat what he did at the end of last year before i'm gonna go trotting him out there yeah no, i think so too uh, you know but for me that's that's a change as compared to the last couple of seasons where i've just really he's been on my my dtm list dead to me uh just not really paid attention <laughs> but i think with the uh the good defense there in anaheim I, th- I think that's going to help Nolasco some. Will it help him enough uh, to make him a, a two-start streamer? Like you said, we got to wait and see on that one. Now, uh, mm-hmm. let's uh, upgrade a little bit to Jim's 50-50 list here. We've got Kenta Maeda. He's got the Padres and the Rockies, and that's at course. So I think normally Maeda would be uh, you know much, much higher here. But uh, is, is that a, a deal-breaker for you with Maeda pitching it uh, – of course, or is he on your, your laminated list of pitchers who are, are okay to start with a Colorado start? You know, uh, Maeda actually <clears throat> had a really good start in Colorado last year, so I don't know that he's intimidated by the ballpark per se. If you're in a weekly lock, I think I'm willing to absorb the risk at the Rockies, especially with the strikeout upside that the Padres possess. So I, I would actually put him as a 75-25. You know, I understand uh, Jim's consternation of using him in Colorado, but I don't think that uh, the ballpark's going to affect him as much as it does other pitchers. Yeah, well, another pitcher on the list that, to me, looked a little out of place, well, actually two, Garrett Cole, but I think I, I, think I get that, you know, because uh, given the wealth of pitchers there and, and maybe a little bit of uncertainty around Cole coming into this year that – Maybe you go with somebody that you perceive as safer. But also Sean Manaya. it seems like the, the hype on him has worn off a bit. Uh, is he must start to you this week, Manaya, with the Angels at home and then the uh, Rangers in Texas? Uh, it depends. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of, you know, early in the season, Manaya was on the hype train, and then he kind of fell off a little bit, and he was even drifting in the last couple of drafts I did. Um, I think he, at the end of the spring there, he was, he was giving up a lot of hits during his innings. So, you know, you need that there's, there's injury risk in the past. So he needs a strong start, uh, to get out there. I think people are a little wary of the Texas thing, especially, uh, their platoon guys have been doing well with the Shields and Rua and a few others. So that could be a sneaky, uh, tough matchup that people aren't thinking about. So I kind of see with Jim here on the 50, 50, I'm an and uh, let's go up uh, another rung on the ladder here to questionable starts. Zach Greinke's got the Giants and the Indians at home. Uh, would you rather start uh, Greinke or uh, Maeda this week? I would start Maeda. And what about Greinke versus Manaya? <sighs> It's it's amazing that I'm thinking this hard <laughs> over those two. No, I was gonna say I think the uh, silence speaks I, volumes. 
I, I would probably just do Grinky because he's at home at least. Uh, I'm a little worried about that Manai and Texas matchup. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, certainly Manai is somebody that, uh, you know, I think would be very trustworthy in Oakland. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, I'd start Manaya. I'm that worried about Granky. I think it could just. It, yeah, you know, no, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, that's, that, it makes sense. I mean, that's truly a, the, the pause was like, holy moly. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have to make that choice. Well, uh, again, uh, you should check it out because there's far too many pitchers here and, and interesting dilemmas that you could consider. Uh, but uh, go go to FanRag Sports and check out Jim Finch's uh, two-start guide for uh, for week one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Greg, as we're wrapping up here, last couple of minutes, so I, I know you're in a ton of leagues. You know, when, when we had our show from New York last weekend, we all kind of went around the, the table and talked about how many leagues. If I recall, you were top man. Do, are you in, what, like 15 leagues or something like that? No, I don't think it's that bad. I'm on three on <laughs> Yahoo. I did three three NFBC drafts, my CBS Home League. Um, I think I'm double digits. I'm about 10. And I have a 16-team draft tonight uh, on ESPN, but they're using OBP. Uh, QS and sold, so that'll that'll change uh, some of the guys' values All in right. that one. Well, you got me beat by one. I'm up yeah. to ten. I'm, I'm finishing at ten. Looks like that's going to be your eleventh. So, out of all those teams, uh, do you have? You must have some injured player that you you're going to have to scramble to replace. Uh, is is that uh, is that correct? Uh, not scrambling too much. I did uh, after our talk with Rendon. I did. Uh, I was able to move Drury to third base, and I flipped Carlos Gomez into the outfield. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take, oh, like uh, I'm gonna take the week without Ren. I'm gonna take the week without Rendon plus Drury's at home. So uh, I'll rock that out. I was a little I had Gomez out because when he jammed his shoulder, they weren't sure if he was gonna be back. But he he played yesterday, had a hit. So I'm gonna rock it out. Uh, I have a lot of shares of Wilson Ramos. So in one league, luckily I was able to get Jan Gomes off of waivers um, and just piecing together couple of guys to fill in for him until uh, until he gets back on the field. All right. Well, good luck to you, Greg. Good luck to everybody out there listening. Uh, go get your TV sets warmed up, although that's something I you know, probably would say in 1975, uh, not in 2017. But <laughs> <laughs> get ready. Get your popcorn because uh, uh, baseball is about to start. And thank you so much for spending your hour uh, before uh, the first pitch with us here. We will be back tomorrow with Jim Finch. Maybe we can talk some more pitching with him then. But uh, anyways, have a great day, great weekend, great week one. See you tomorrow. Take it easy.